0: and say a special prayer for, for uh, not only Afghanistan and what folks are going through over there, Christians, by the way, that are over there who were starting to get to the point where they could worship openly are now having to go back underground. And, and, and we want to pray for our brothers and sisters there, but we also want to pray for that nation. We also want to pray for the people in that region. So why don't we go ahead and go to God in prayer? God, we we don't know why bad things happen except that we know that the enemy is still in this world and the enemy is still uh, prowling like a lion seeking whom he will destroy. So, Lord, when we see evil going on, especially when we see it happening, towards our brothers and sisters, towards fellow Christians, but Lord, just in general to people. uh, All we can do, Lord, at this moment is lift a prayer to you. So, God, right now, we lift our prayers to you. We pray for the country of Afghanistan, and we pray for their people. As some of them are going back into hiding, they're going back underground just to worship you. We pray for those that that are being attacked, those that are being dragged out, those that are being tortured and killed. God, we pray for your protection. Uh, We pray, God, for what many would say is the impossible we pray, Lord, that in that country there would be a revival where you would show up. God, we know it's possible because there was a man named Saul that was seeking to kill your people and you arrived on the Damascus Road to reveal yourself to him. Lord, we pray that not only in the country of Afghanistan, but any country that is not seeking you, any country that in fact is seeking out your people to kill, we pray that those people would have a Damascus Road experience with you. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself in such a way that they would have to turn to you. So Lord, we pray for protection. We pray for conversion. We pray, Lord, ultimately for peace. The peace that you promised when Jesus came into this world, that your peace would rest on those you have called. So God, we pray for this over our entire world, every country in the world, most notably right now Afghanistan, but other countries that are in that area that are fearing war. We pray for safety, for peace, and we pray that you would change them in miraculous ways. As we continue in the service, Lord, uh, we pray that you be here and that you speak. Lord, as we continue uh, through the book of Ruth, we pray that uh, it wouldn't be me speaking, but it would be you speaking through me. We pray that every ear would be open to listening to your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as we're continuing through the book of Ruth here, Uh, We are in chapter 2, if you wanted to follow along. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to a servant who was in charge of the reapers, "'Whose young woman is this?' The servant in charge of the reapers replied, "'She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab.' And she said, "'Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves.' Thus she came and has remained from morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while.' Then Boaz said to Ruth, "'Listen carefully, my daughter.' Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from, the, from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, "'All that you have done for your mother-in-law "'after the death of your husband "'has been fully reported to me, "'and how you left your father and your mother "'in the land of your birth "'and came to a people that you did not previously know. "'May the Lord reward your work "'and your wages be full from the Lord, "'the God of Israel, "'under whose wings you have come to seek refuge.'" Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your other maidservants. Well, I've got a little bit of a confession to make. This might be more of a confession for the men, um, and, and I hate to put myself up on a pedestal above you, but I enjoy romantic movies. <laughs> I know, I know. Wives, give your husband some grace as you go home. But not just any romantic movie. I'm not really a fan of, like, the Hallmark movies or the B Netflix movies where a lady leaves the big city when she's engaged to a rich businessman and goes to a farm and finds out the hard work of a farm. And there's a man who's no nonsense, and and, uh, he wants to change her ways, and she wants to change his. And then at the end, you find out that they both were looking for each other all along. No, not those movies, but there's one movie in particular that my wife and I have enjoyed ever since we were dating. And probably about once a year, we'll say, hey, we haven't watched that in a while. We should watch it. And it's the two thousand. And I know I'm going to upset some people, so just bear with me here. It's the 2005 version of Pride and Prejudice. We did I just hear an awe out there? <laughs> I think I did. So we have another fan. Now I know if you might be upset that I've never seen the 1950s one. I've never seen the BBC miniseries, and I've also never read Jane Austen's book. So I do apologize, but. The 2005 Pride and Prejudice, every time we watch that, we smile and our hearts melt. Every time. Because as the movie unfolds, you know, there are two different people and they're upset with one another, one another, but they respect one another, and one proposes to the other, and she denies him, and then later on, she tells her father that she does love him, and the way everything builds in that movie, it just, at the end, what always gets me is, is there she is, she walks out into the field, and she's looking lawningly because she sees that some of her sisters have been engaged, and she doesn't know if she'll ever be engaged, and she looks out over the field, and, and who's walking across the field? field, Mr. Darcy. And it's just, it's such an awesome, they don't even kiss. I think maybe that's the most powerful part about that scene is they just clasp hands and they just know they're going to be together. Gets me every single time. Well, we talked last week about how human relationships can sometimes reflect the relationship that we have with God. And so last week we looked at the loyalty that Ruth has to Naomi and the pledge that she gives her, the oath that she gives her, and how that reflects the oath that we give Jesus when he calls us into salvation to be forgiven by him. Well, in this relationship, what we're looking at is a very human, romantic relationship that occurs between Boaz and Ruth, much like in, in Pride and Prejudice or maybe a romantic movie that you like. Maybe uh, You've Got Mail, where well, I don't want to give away the ending, but in all of these movies, you know, there's that, that moment where you know as a viewer, there's a moment in the movie that you see it and you say, that's where they fell in love. That's where the relationship started. And so in this story, we get that in chapter 2 where Ruth meets Boaz. And generally speaking, how we sort of can read it, if you start with verse 2, how you tend to read it is, she well, I'm sorry, in verse 2 it actually says, she happened across the field of Boaz. But if you go back to verse 1, The introduction to who Boaz is, he's a great and wealthy man, and he also happens to be a kinsman of Naomi. So the very beginning of chapter 2 opens up as to who this Boaz guy is. And this Boaz guy is an influential man in Bethlehem. It's to the point that the author of Ruth actually uses language like you might use language with a valiant soldier or a very rich person Or somebody who's not just rich, but he's everything you would ever want to be as a person. That's the language that the writer uses. Our translation doesn't do it justice. Our translation tends to say a wealthy man, and I think some other translations talk about a noble man. But the reality is, in verse 1, they're setting Boaz apart from Ruth. And your introduction to Boaz is, everybody knows who Boaz is. Everybody knows he's the richest man in the community, but not only is he the richest man in the community, he's also the noblest man in the community. He's the bravest man in the community. He's the man that you want to be when you grow up. So that's the introduction we have to Boaz. And not only that, we find out he's a kinsman of Naomi, which means they're within the same family or within the same tribe. Which means if there's anybody in Naomi's family that wants to get married, she can be married into Boaz's family. So already we see, oh, they're within the same community, is how we might look at it. They're within the same structure where, who knows, maybe somebody could get married along the way. Spoiler alert, that does actually happen later on in the book, but we'll get to that later. So we get this introduction to Boaz that he's the wealthiest and the noblest man that you could imagine. And then in verse 2 and 3, we see Ruth. And remember, she's moved with Naomi back to Bethlehem, but neither of them have a husband. They're both widows. They have nothing. They're living on their own. They own no property. They're some of the lowest status that you could get in the Israelite community. And Ruth looks at Naomi one day and she says, I think I'm going to go out and glean in one of the fields, which is another way of saying I'm going to go out during the harvest and whatever is left on the ground, I'm going to pick up and maybe we can eat that today. Maybe we'll get enough food to help us survive. So when Ruth says this to Naomi, it's very much a survival tactic. It's, it's the only thing she can think to do. And in the Jewish community, in the Jewish law, there is a law that stipulates that you are not supposed to pick up the grain that falls on the ground. So it's a law that stipulates when you have sojourners or foreigners or strangers or those who are in need that want food, you are not allowed to pick up the food that's on the ground because that might be something that other people need. Not only that, Jewish law stipulates, this is back in Leviticus 19.9, Jewish law stipulates that you're not to harvest the corners of your fields so that those same people who are in need can go out and they can harvest your field. So it leaves some room for people who are low in the social status like Ruth and Naomi. So Ruth finds out about this and she says to Naomi, I would like to go out and glean. I would like to go out and see what what I can pick up out of the fields after the harvesters have gone through and maybe I'll pick up enough to bring back. So Ruth says this to Naomi. Naomi says, have at it. See what you can find. So Ruth goes out And this is where we get that language. She just happens across the field of Boaz. Now, in our earthly minds, how many times do we run into a coincidence? How many times do we run into, oh, wow, I can't believe you're here and I'm here and we're both trying to do this thing together. It's, you know, it's a coincidence to us, but the reality is it's God who orchestrates when his people meet. And so as we look at this verse, it's interesting. The writer says she just happened across that field, but it's almost used sarcastically because he just introduced who Boaz was. So how we're supposed to read it is God brought Ruth into Boaz's field. It's not a coincidence. This is God's providence that brings her out there. And when she goes out to glean, people take notice of her. To the point that when Boaz comes back to see how his field is doing, he sees Ruth and he asks one of the foremen about her. Now, th- this, is, th- this is a part of the scripture that I'm, I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I told you I like romantic movies, so bear with me, would you? When Boaz shows up, he specifically asks about Ruth, and, and he asks this question, who does this young lady belong to? and what he means by that is what family is she with what what tribe does she come from is she with somebody that we know or is she just a foreigner? Is she just a stranger? What What is she? And this is a question that's often asked in the Old Testament. When when soldiers meet one another along the road or, or when you meet people, uh, you will ask the question, to whom do you belong? And the question is very legitimate. It would just be like saying in a small town, hey, aren't you so-and-so's son? I got that all the time. In our last church district, everybody knew who my dad was. But what was really annoying is everyone knew who my sister was. Everybody. They hardly knew my name. It might start with a J, and I think it ends with a Henderson. But you're Charity's little brother, aren't you? Everybody knew who she was, and so whenever they met me, they knew me in affiliation with her. Well, that's the question that Boaz is asking. Who is she affiliated with? But there's another, and, and you sort of see it as Boaz is generous with her later on in this passage. Another way that you could ask, the, that, that you could interpret this question, who does she belong to? Uh. She married. It's sort of a trick that I hear single people do when they see somebody that catches their eye. They'll, they'll ask the question, so, do you have a wife? Or your, your wife must be waiting for you at home. Oh, I don't have a wife, really? Or you might ask the question, are, are, are you married? Because you're wanting to know, can I date you? So this is a question that Boaz could be asking uh, when he says, who does she belong to? Is she married? Is she single? There's something about Ruth that catches his eye, at least to the point that he asks about her. And the foreman says to him, well, she's the Moabite woman that came back with Naomi. She's in our fields to glean. And then he gives this report. So it's enough, by the way, it's enough that she comes back to glean in the fields. That's enough to say that she has low social status. All right, that's enough for the foreman to let Boaz know she's a gleaner, she's within our community, and she's, fo- she's following the dictates or the stipulations of the law. She's gleaning up the grain for her family. But then the foreman adds this. He says she's also asked if she could glean among the sheaves. And what that means is, Ruth also asks, not only can I glean in the field, that's what the law requires. The law allows me to glean in this area. But she looks over and she sees all of the barley that's already been harvested. And she knows that when they pick those sheaves up, there's going to be some barley left on the ground. So she asks, is it okay if I go over there and start to glean from the harvest? Now, nowhere in the law does it say you're allowed to, to glean from the harvest. That's the harvest. If some of the barley falls off the harvest, that's ours to keep. And in fact, sometimes they, they would be shrewd and they would send servants back out, pick up everything out of the harvest because we have a family we have to feed. We can't leave that, but we're supposed to leave the field. So when Ruth says... To the foreman, can I glean over there? The foreman says, well, the law says that we don't have to allow it. I would have to ask the head of the household, Boaz, if it's okay for you to do that. And so when the foreman says that to Boaz, he's saying not only is she a gleaner, she's a desperate gleaner. Not only is she a foreigner in the land that has no field to harvest of her own, She's a widow who has no husband to provide with her, taking care of a widow that has no sons to give her, and she's asking if not only can we glean in the field, can we glean among the parts of the field that we're not supposed to glean? Are are you getting the picture here? Do you see the contrast between Ruth and Boaz? There's a major contrast going on just in these first few verses. Boaz is one of the wealthiest men in Bethlehem to the point that everybody knows who this man is. And not only is he the wealthiest, he's noble, he's generous. People want to be him when they grow up. And on the very other end, you have Ruth, who's a desperate gleaner, asking if she can skirt the edges of the law in order to get just a little bit more grain to take care of her widowed mother-in-law. Do you see the difference here? We, we have the phrase, living on two different sides of the railroad track. These are like two different sides of several railroad tracks. As far as we're concerned, Ruth has no chance to be with Boaz. None whatsoever. And as far as we're concerned, Boaz shouldn't even care who Ruth is. When he says, who's that lady over there? The foreman would say, well, she's a gleaner and she wants to glean among the sheaves. Boaz could very easily say, no, that's ours. She needs to stick in the field and tell her to keep a good distance from our harvesters. I don't want her to steal from us. If that was Boaz's response, it would be legitimized in their culture. If that was Boaz's response, nobody would think any different. But notice Boaz's response in this passage. When he hears that she wants to glean among the sheaves, he almost says, well, that's silly. We've got plenty in the field. And he doesn't just tell the foreman, oh, go let her know that she can stick in the field and, and she'll be fine. He goes and talks to Ruth, which again is why I sort of read the passage as, is she married? Is she single? He goes and talks to Ruth and he says, listen, you, you, don't, you don't need to glean them on the sheaves. You stay in the field glean next to the harvesters. As, as the harvesters go through the field, they're going to drop stuff. You stick close to them. You'll be one of the first ones that can pick up the barley as it falls. And stay with my maidservants is what he says. He says, stay with my people that are working for me. Uh, you're going to be one of them. I've instructed them not to harm you or not to touch you. Another way of looking at that is they were probably used to people that tried to steal while they were gleaning, and so they would push them away or they would be physical with them. Boaz has instructed all of his workers, you see that lady Ruth, you don't lay a finger on her. If she wants to steal, you let her steal. She's here to glean, and she's going to glean as close to the harvesters as possible. And then he says, and when you're thirsty, go and get a drink with my servants. When they draw water from the well, you help yourself. Now remember, Boaz could have said, no, she can't glean among the sheaves and call it good. Instead, he approaches her and he offers her essentially to glean in the fields as if though she's one of the servants that he's hired to harvest. He gives her all of the protections that he would give anybody else in the household. He immediately treats her as if, though, she is under his protection. And, and she can't, she doesn't know what to say. So her reaction is she falls flat on her face and bows to him and says, why have I received this from you? Why, why are you being so nice to me? Have, have you ever talked to somebody and one of their questions is, you're just, you're, you're being nice. <laughs> I have. I've been in those situations where somebody, and it's usually like in a workplace where somebody's not used to other people being polite or nice, and then they kind of go, why, why are you being so nice? It's like, well, because I'm human. Because uh, I should be. But Ruth, her reaction to Boaz is, you don't have to do this. You're giving me far more than I could ever ask for. Why are, you do, why are you being so nice to me? And Boaz says, it's because I've seen what you've done for your widowed mother-in-law, Naomi. It's been reported to me that you left your household. You left your country where you knew family, where you had friends, where you could have remarried and had a good life on your own, but you stayed loyal to your mother-in-law and I've seen you come into a country where you're a stranger, you're a foreigner, you're a refugee, you don't, you don't have anywhere else to go. And I've seen you do this with faith in God. He says this towards the end. He says, I, it's been reported to me that when you've come here, you've come here because you're seeking refuge under God. And then he blesses her. He says to her, you know, when, when you pick up the barley, I pray God gives you even more. And this blessing is important, by the way. When they gave blessings in the Old Testament, there was, we, we now, with the New Testament, we have an understanding of blessings that God's blessings are infinite, God's blessings are infinite, so every time we ask or give a blessing, we know that's coming from the storehouse of God, and God's got plenty. He's got cattle on a thousand hill. He can give us whatever we ask for. Back in this time, they believed that blessings were very limited, that there was almost a currency of blessings, and you didn't give too much out because you could run out of blessings. So when he gives Ruth a blessing, that's a big deal. This isn't just an idiom. He's not just saying, well, I I hope you do well in life. It's it's pulling out a currency of blessing and saying, I hope that what God was going to give me as a blessing, he's going to give to you instead. Think about that for a moment. He's not thinking selfishly in any way to Ruth. He's only thinking of the needs of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And when he says this, She's just gracious. She's, she's, she expresses her gratitude to Boaz and thanks him immensely and then goes out and works. And as you see throughout the rest of this chapter, when she goes out to work, Boaz invites her into the household with all of the other servants and feeds her. And, and he gives her bread and he gives her wine and, and they're able to eat. And then he says to her, remember that original request? Can I glean among the sheaves? He, says, he basically looks at what she has and he says, you don't have enough. When the harvesters put the sheaves away, you go and you glean from that. And then he instructs his servants, let her harvest or, or let her glean from the harvest. Let her pick up whatever she can. And then at the end of it all, he basically asks her, do you have enough? Do you need any more? He's making sure she does have enough for her and Naomi, and, and when she goes back and, and shows Naomi, you, Naomi's reaction is just like, where did Where did you go? <laughs> did they have a sale at Woodman's? What's going on here? And she brings in all of this, and Ruth is just amazed as well. And she says, no, I I landed in Boaz's field. Have you heard of Boaz? Yeah, I've heard of Boaz. Who hasn't? And she says, I got all of this barley. And, And on top of that, Boaz tells her, don't go into any other fields. Come back to my field. Continue to glean in my field, and I'll continue to give the protections that I offered you. And Naomi is just amazed at what's been accomplished here for her and Ruth. All because God orchestrated for Ruth to walk into that field, and when Boaz came, he felt that pitter patter in his heart. The butterflies came up. He saw Ruth, and he says, Is she married? Oh, she's not? Well then, let me see what I can do for her. And the reason they get together, I mean, you look at the opposite ends of the spectrum. He has everything. She has nothing. You sit back and you wonder, what does she have to offer? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But when Boaz sees her, he falls in love. I I told you uh, I like romantic movies. Well, this is for the men, by the way. One of my favorite romantic movies is the 1976 classic, Rocky. You didn't know that was a romantic movie, did you? You know what? This is a little bit of homework. Um, I invite you, when you leave church today, men, pull out your copy of Rocky, because I expect you to have one, and watch it with your wife, and that counts as a romantic movie for the week. Because if you remember in the movie Rocky, Rocky has a best friend Paulie, and he likes Paulie's sister Adrian, and he really wants to date her. And when he finally does date her, Paulie doesn't get it. He just he doesn't understand. And he's, and I'll try not to do the accents, but I, I love that movie so much. But remember what Paulie says to Rocky. He says, "Yo, Rocky, what do you see in my sister anyway?" And, and Rocky's response is he says, oh, I, I don't know. I just like her, you know. We, we, we fill gaps, you know. What do you mean you fill gaps? And he says, you know, you fill gaps. You know, she's really good at reading. I don't know how to read. And I'm a fighter. And she doesn't fight at all. You know, we fill gaps. And let me translate that for you. Uh, what he's pointing out is, yeah, they, they've got nothing in common. But because they have nothing in common, they give each other everything they need for a relationship. So when you look at Boaz and you look at at Ruth, they've got nothing in common. There's no reason they should get together. And yet, what Boaz gives to Ruth, Ruth is able to exchange in humility and gratitude. Boaz sees everything that Ruth needs and provides it, and Ruth receives that with gratitude. She's not too prideful to push it away. She's not too... Self centered or self prided that she would say, No, no, I just I don't need your handout. No, she sees what he's trying to do and she receives it. So that, that leads us to our question after we read this chapter here. What does this have to do with us? Did you ever stop to think that the first time God saw you, he fell in love? Stop to think that for a moment. I I know he created you. I, (laughs) I know he created you. He chose you before the foundations of the earth. But let's look at this in a human relationship perspective so we can wrap our minds around this. There was a moment that when God looked at you, he said, wow, I want to be in a relationship with that person. This is one of those moments where a human relationship is able to reflect somewhat the relationship that God has with us. That that we we were doing our best to survive. We were doing our best to take care of ourselves, but we couldn't do it and we just happened to come across the field of God. Did we just happen to come across the field? No, he called us into that place. And when we got there, he saw us, and he said, I want that person to be in my household. He looked at us and said, I know the needs that Josh Henderson has, and I want to provide for every one of those needs. He looked at you and he said, I want to be with you. And what was our reaction to that? Well, probably humility. Probably the realization that, yeah, we, we can't do it on our own, and, and it takes God's provision to get it done. It was probably gratitude. The, the immense thankfulness that we have that God would look out for us and God would provide for us. This is what we call our salvation. This is what we call call when God calls us into his family. When we say words like that here in this church, that I've been called by Jesus, I've been forgiven by Jesus, I've been saved by Jesus, we're essentially saying that we were like Ruth, just trying to make it along in life, and Jesus showed up, and invited us into his household. We were like Ruth, and we were destined to die. We were the lowest on the social spectrum. And yet, here's Jesus came along and offered his hand of provision. This is what we've been called into in our salvation. God is in love with us. And sometimes we sit back and say, why? (laughs) Have you seen me, God? Do you watch me when nobody else is looking? Have have you seen the issues that I've gone through? And God says, I don't care. I love you anyway. This is the salvation that we have, but it's also the salvation that we're able to go and tell others about. So just like Ruth goes back and lets Naomi know, look at the field I went into and look at the harvest that I got. We're able to go out into the world and we're able to share the same thing. We're able to share that news. Why are you so happy all the time? How come you never seem to be worried? How come I can share with you my problems and and you're able to pray with me about it? Well, we have somebody that's called us into his household, God. We have Jesus Christ who has saved us. This is the message that we carry with us not only in our own lives, but this is the message that we carry out into the world. We're able to share with others that same love that Boaz had for Ruth is an even greater love that God has for us. That, that, that is a romantic story if I've ever heard one. That is an amazing story to share. Let's share it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story that you've shared with us in your scripture, thank you that that we would see just a little bit of how much you love us, of how much you care for us, of how much you've provided for us. And God, we pray that as we continue to live out this salvation that that you are providing for us, that you have provided for us, as we're living this out, Lord, we pray... That you would give us the strength and the courage and the words to be able to express this to our friends and our family. We pray that you would give us the ability to express this in our community, among our coworkers, among, among uh, people in our class, and our fellow students. God, anybody that hasn't heard of you, we pray that you would send us to tell them of you. And God, not only that, we pray for anyone here that's struggling with the idea that they are loved by you. Lord, we pray that that would be a struggle no longer. We pray, God, that that would be so embedded in our hearts that that we would accept it and we would have assurance that you do love us. And we wouldn't have to question why, but we would only proclaim it to others. Lord, send us out, we pray. Amen.